No cap, no cap. No cap, no cap. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for my very first episode of No Cap with Brit. I believe I'll start with a bit about me. I'm a visual artist living and working in Oakland, California. A big part of my life is being sober and what life looks like as a result. Nothing at all qualifies me to have a podcast except I follow my intuition. And a week ago, I woke up with a strong notion to create a podcast. And here we are. A quick explanation of the title. No cap means for real or no bullshit. Personally, and this might just be the Sagittarius in me, I get impatient with small talk or polite conversation. Sobriety demands rigorous honesty, and I really value that in myself and others. I want to know people. So the purpose of this podcast is to shine a light on my immediate community and talk about the things that matter to them and what shaped them as individuals. The plan is not to limit myself to artists. But I am, at least initially while I find my footing, interviewing people I know intimately for ease of conversation. I really, really, really want this podcast to be interactive, and I'm calling that element the Ask It Basket. I did not come up with that, FYI. I'd love it if people would text DM on at nocapwithbrit or email me at nocapwithbrit at gmail. They can be questions or topics, about anything. Don't limit yourself. I'll be asking guests to blind pick these topics out of the basket periodically throughout the chat. Please participate. Once more, that's nocapwithbrit at gmail. I've got an Insta with the same handle. And also, if your spirit moves you, consider donating to my Patreon, linked in my bio on my Instagram, Lady Henzie. A special shout out to DJ Sunny Fono for my intro music. It's so awesome. I hope you enjoy my first episode with the fabulous muralist and plant goddess herself, Nora Brune. Thanks for listening, friends. We're live. We are live. I'm here with Nora Konarebi. Mm-hmm. At my house in Oakland, and this is my very first podcast. Woo! Thanks for coming and being <laughs> here and being willing to run this experiment with me. Uh, it's literally my greatest pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I nerded out really hard today making this little corner cozy. It's um, the coziest. It's a full-on micro gallery. Yeah, I've got a little art collection over here. I've got a Chris Ferris. And a John Vochatzer and uh, Austin Zombras and a Chris Martin and a couple of my own pieces. Mm-hmm. Bay Area heavy hitters. This girl in the basket poster was given to me when I was a barista off Larkin. <laughs> and this guy like found it at a, like a guy giving stuff away basically on the corner. Did and he... he was like, I thought of you. And I didn't know this guy. So that's why <laughs> that's so magical. Like, Did he give it to you rolled up? He did. Or... But then he like unfurled it to show me mm. what it was. And this is when I was a barista in the Tenderloin. And he was like, nice. He was a regular. We just weren't friends. And so what we're looking at right now, everyone, because you can't see it, is a vintage porn poster that says swing in the most erotic device ever tried. Mm-hmm. Girl like, in the basket. Mm-hmm. And it's a woman who looks like she's in pain. <laughs> Full on like 
bush spilling out yes. of the panties. <laughs> a really large scale fishnet. Very much so. <laughs> like window pane fishnet. Yeah. yeah. We just don't know what's up. She knows what's up. Yeah. Anyway, we're setting the scene for you. Mm-hmm. How was your day? Today was busy and lovely. I woke up at 4.40, took an Uber to the San Diego airport, flew in, picked up a bunch of stuff to go live paint in Mill Valley, live painted in Mill Valley, ate some food, drove over here, Um, got licked by Brit's dogs, her cute little babies, and now I'm in the cozy art corner with you. This is so typical of you. Like, I love... (laughs) Like, we're going to really get into what makes Anora Anora. Oh, man. Um, and I'm really excited <laughs> about that. But, like, the the fact that you did all these things in one day is so you, and it's so not me. I would have been like, no, I'm sorry, I'm flying that day. That's all I have the bandwidth for. Excuse me. Yeah, it's just so interesting because <laughs> I don't, like, really have perspective on what other people's... Um, scheduling is like you know what I mean like spacing things out cramming things in like how how each person sort of flows through that so I don't realize I pack it in until people tell me I pack it in yeah I feel like every time I talk to you I feel like there's a lot of downtime for you but when it's going it's really going yeah is that your experience for sure and you're a yes person I am a yes person. And I am less of a yes person. That's good. That's like called healthy boundaries. In fact, my hat right now says no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to be more of a yes person, but. By wearing a no hat. (laughs) I just want to lead with like, you know. (laughs) The deal with me is that at first I'm going to say no and then I'll think about it and I'll probably say yes. But the first answer is always going to be no. So double ask things to yeah. Brit is what you're saying. My initial reaction to everything is often I, I don't like situation. Mm-hmm. And that's just because I haven't investigated it. Mm-hmm. Like my first Saturday parties that you've said no to. A <laughs> <laughs> hundred times in a row. <laughs> How did I know that this was going to come up? It has to. It had to have come up. It's an issue. Because I was afraid. <laughs> I was afraid oh, you were going to out me for the reason I told you I wasn't going to come. You can share that if you want. I'll let you share what you are comfortable with. <laughs> so that brings me to the title of the podcast, which is um, needs an explanation for anyone under 30. And that includes myself. So no cap means no bullshit, which Mm -hmm. means I'm going to hold myself to a standard of truth telling on this podcast. (laughs) And not everyone has to do that. But yeah, the reason I said I wouldn't go to Nora's first Saturday is because I'm afraid that I'm going to get trapped with people playing impromptu live music. (laughs) (laughs) And that just falls into my category of like a... It's not my favorite situation to be in. Mm-hmm. And every time I post a video from it's, these first Saturdays, it's like someone on the ukulele. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
So to be fair, I've judged it appropriately. Definitely. But I think everyone who goes to them, like every time I see the photos, I'm like, oh, it's all people I know and love. Yeah, mostly it's all about playing Jenga. That's like the biggest activity that happens there. I kind of wish I wasn't such a hater. I'm going to work on it. I'll say no music for one of them. That would be everyone would be. So that Brit can come. (laughs) (laughs) And just ruin the vibe before it ever even happens. You can choose. You you can make a soundtrack and we'll play it. (laughs) And we'll just create a, a comfy situation for you. I feel like I need to provide some backstory about why that situation makes me uncomfortable. I would love that. And it's because I grew up in Boulder. Or I didn't right. really grow up there per se, but that is where I went to school. Um, and anyone who's wa- watched South Park knows about the hippie drum circle episode. <laughs> and that is an excellent. Uh, yeah, those guys didn't make shit up. That's exactly what my experience was in college and afterwards living in boulder colorado and so i think i have just hippie drum circle ptsd (laughs) are you nervous that someone's gonna be like hey you want to join in desperately nervous okay yeah yeah it's like getting picked on in class or something yeah i don't play an instrument and i don't sing well and clap oh my god (laughs) stomp along i feel like it's yeah i'm the person who goes to music venues no matter how much i love the artist and i still sit at the back and enjoy myself that way yeah that's that's fine anyway not everyone can be as having as much fun as everyone else i guess so i in full disclosure i emailed nora a bunch of questions that i wanted to talk about today because You've had a hell of a year. Mm-hmm. And yep. tomorrow marks kind of a big deal anniversary. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So tomorrow, June 2nd, will be six months from when my mom received the news that her cancer had spread and she had six months or less to live. And when that happened, she kind of sold everything, moved from Minnesota to San Francisco, and then I've been hanging out with her since. And so, yeah, it's been six months and she's still here. She's living on her own. We just went to Yosemite. We went to San Diego for my brother's graduation. And she's still doing pretty good. You were with family in Yellowstone. Yeah, I brought my mom and my little brother up there. They had never seen it. What did your brother graduate from? So this was my little brother that was up in Yellowstone. My older brother, Josh, um, he just finished his medical residency, which is like a brutal program. To be a doctor? Yeah. Oh. There were six residents that were graduating, and most of them teared up. And it wasn't like tears of joy. It was like utter relief. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I can't believe I survived that kind of energy of was, like, pervasive throughout all of their speeches. Why do you think they do that? You know, I actually have theories on this. So, emergency medicine, I think, was born out of wartime. 
So it's like there's a battle. You have to be on for hours and hours and hours and hours helping people. And we still kind of have that same foundation of this sort of um, just way too intense training. It's also nonsensical. It's not like there's a shortage of doctors per se. So why make them work three days in a row? Or like not sleep. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's like um, they don't get to take care of themselves, yet they're supposed to take care of others. It, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. And they're clearly answering to, uh, I mean, like... <clears throat> I go to Kaiser and I'm lucky to have health insurance. I'll say that first and foremost, but like Mm -hmm. I will do almost anything not to go to Kaiser because of the quality of care I get there, which is hot garbage. And like, I was worried that I had recently, I was worried that I, a spot I might have a skin cancer, which both my dad and my sister have. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't coming from nowhere. I wanted to get it looked at. And my doctor was like, Oh yeah, we don't do in person checks for that anymore if you have a spot that you'd like to have checked out you're gonna have to take a photo of it and then send it through and that's just like okay so I should diagnose myself on trying to see all the parts of my body that I think might have skin cancer Mm -hmm. take a good photo of it yeah and just hope for the best yeah I don't know if that's like they're trying to be more efficient or so much changed post-covid you know And another weird thing about this graduating class that my brother's in is they all started their residency when COVID hit. So it was just a mess and they were totally in the trenches. And yeah, they all like share this really wild experience and you could tell how bounded they all were from that. Fuck. Yeah. I wish I could have, I wish I could hear some of those stories. Yeah, so my brother, throughout his whole residency, he would, we have this family chat that's very active, and he would, you know, recall all the stories from the day, and because it was all so new for him, you know, so all these exciting, crazy things were happening all the time, Um, but yeah, now he gets to be a doctor and not have other doctors sign off on everything that he does. Where is he going to practice? He's going to stay in San Diego. So the hospital that he's at really focuses on immigrants, people without housing, just like people who really need care. Um, And like, that's kind of why he chose that residency is they really focus on that. And that's sort of where his heart is, is like medicine for the people, which. I want to come back to your mom, but I also like we're on a train right now. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that because we're both, from the Midwest, it we were raised to care about people more. I mean, that saying something like that is so black and white, and I don't mean that as a blanket statement for all people, but mm-hmm. it sounds slight interruption from dogs and Amazon drivers. We're back. Um, what I was asking Nora is her brother is choosing a hospital that is very people oriented, and I know a lot about Nora herself, and she is also people oriented, and I'm wondering if our how we were raised and where we were raised played a role in that. Yeah, I definitely think so. So we're both from the Midwest and I spend a lot of time in Canada and I kind of see similar things where, and my, 
my like diagnosis for it is that people who collectively experience winter (laughs) (laughs) are just hardier can deal with more shit that happens in life and I mean, the north is, like, full of these beautiful forests. You don't really find the desert up north so much. So there's, like, this outdoorsy element to it as well. But, yeah, I grew up out in the country, big family. I find that people with larger families also, I just get along with in this certain way. Like, there's more playfulness. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, then they've been taking shit their whole lives. Depending on where they are in the sibling hierarchy. As have I. I was, like, beaten, and I loved it. (laughs) Well, like, yeah, tell us how your family is. So there's actually, like, two cohorts. There's five kids. (laughs) Cohort number one (laughs) is the first three, and my parents were like, okay, we're done. And then... The youngest of the first three went off to kindergarten and my mom kind of missed having a little teensy one around. So then they had me and then I couldn't be this random runt. So then they (laughs) had my little brother, Charlie. So I'm fourth in line, but I'm the oldest of cohort number two. Got it. Good delineation. (laughs) Yeah. It's like getting your puppy a puppy because you think that they're fantastic. Yeah. I remind Charlie of that sometimes too. But did it work? Um, that hit that he's my lifelong companion. Yes, for sure. We're, we're very close. Um, yeah. So those are a few of the things, but I just had working class parents and my mom was very sweet. My dad was incredibly hardworking and I never saw them fight, which is cool. I think there was plenty of passive aggressive, I'm not talking to you, but as a child, you don't really pick up on that as much. Right. So there was just like peace in my childhood, which I mean, peace and safety in your childhood is like a major gift. Yes. I think it's really important. Yeah. I reflect on that a lot. Yeah. Maybe we'll hit upon that later because I definitely had a a peaceful and safe young childhood as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And that changed for me, but also was important in how I was made up. Mm -hmm. What did your family like to do together? Hmm. Do you have traditions? Traditions. I mean, of course, the holidays. There was a lot of playing outside, but dad was kind of busy and came home, chased us around a little bit, ate dinner and went to bed. Like that was kind of his role. Yeah. Um, was mom a stay at home mom during periods? Yes. But so she had five kids and then she went to college to be a nurse over 10 years. She took it real slow because you guys, you like would have to. So she was in labor and delivery nurse through a lot of my childhood. That's really badass and mm-hmm. hard to do. Yeah. Hard to go to school like that with kids. Definitely. So that's an excellent role model yeah. to have. Do you think she played a role in what your brother chose to do? You know, there's a lot of sort of medicine in my family. There's some Eastern medicine. There's some Western medicine. Josh is a huge science nerd. So I know that at one point he was thinking about going into uh, research, but then he, yeah, changed directions and wanted to be a doctor. He worked on a reservation at one point 
and that was really pivotal for him. And I think that's when he saw like how, it, uh, like being the only doctor in an underserved community can be a really impactful position to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think for yourself you had a moment that was pivotal? I mean, I feel like we have probably more than one because we're of a certain age, so it's Mm -hmm. hard to pinpoint, but can you point to a time? Like, how about even what made you decide to leave the Midwest and come out to the West Coast? Yeah, so let's see. I went to the University of Iowa and studied biology, and it was like, okay, do I go work in a lab or do I go continue schooling which is a very comfortable thing to do if you've been in school your whole life and like kind of know that system and were you good at it were you um, I was a good test taker okay yeah Tell that, that, <laughs> how does that not surprise me does that mean like you didn't excel in homework and like other things did you have time issues um I mean I was a great student yeah yeah uh, I think I just know how to stuff stuff in my brain mm-hmm. temporarily. I'm trying to like work on learning in a more cohesive, like holistic way where I can actually remember things. But yeah, so my best girlfriend in college, Allie, she was potentially going to be placed with an office out in San Francisco. And so I just started looking at grad programs out here and there was one called environmental management. So I applied, uh, with another bestie named Ashley, Ashley and I both applied. We both got in, we moved out here. We lived in the old servants quarters of this tiny apartment in the hate together. We worked together. It was like a very, uh, sort of, uh, codependent friendship. So anyways, Ash and I move out here and Allie ended up getting placed in some kind of random satellite office in Ohio. And she was like the reason why I was coming out or at least what sort of made me look at San Francisco. Um, And then about a year later, she ended up transferring and moving out here. Genuinely, that sounds like kind of a nice soft landing for a Midwest person to hit the West Coast Mm -hmm. because... I found San Francisco difficult Mm -hmm. to move to. Yeah. I didn't know anyone. And I moved in 2013, which was like the height of the tech boom. And there was like nowhere to rent, even no matter how much money you had. Yeah. There was just nothing available. So having a friend to do that with sounds awesome. It was awesome for sure. And then like, I was only in grad school for one month, but within that month, I got this job working on one of California's biggest river restoration projects in uh, Muir Woods. And with that like two week long field biology job, I had to learn all the native species because we were doing all this plant survey and plant identification was like the main part of that. And there was this teacher who was incredible so passionate she'd be like hearing birds chirping and be like oh that's a a a blue oriole or whatever (laughs) and like basically chirping back she was just this forest nymph and um my experience out in nature has been the same with you yeah fyi (laughs) (laughs) um 
So anyways, that was like a really special thing to be a part of. And then I dropped out. What year is this? I graduated college 2013, so like 2014. Yeah, so. I was like, what, 25? 25 when I moved out here. So we hit SF the same time-ish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't really put that together. Me neither. So you have you been out here for nine, ten years? Yeah, ten. Okay. So There's you're one year, year of using and then got sober in 2014. Fuck yeah. When I saw Olivia outside your Desta show, she was telling me that she knew you from working somewhere next to Luna Rien. Mm-hmm. Where's that in the timeline? Was it with children? Yes. So after having literally a quarter life crisis and being like, (laughs) I don't want to go into debt. Like I really protect my freedom as much as I can. And when I really took a look at, okay, what does it mean to owe $50,000? You know, I was like, fuck that. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you. And also, if we're going to no cap it, I got pregnant, like, right when I moved out to San Francisco. Not right when, but, like, a month or two into it. So I was just a mess. I was still, like, totally binge drinking, coming out straight off of college. So I was still, like, living that sort of way. And then, yeah, I wasn't into grad school at all. I didn't want to be in debt. I had to deal with this whole pregnancy thing. And so I was like, it's a good time to just like take some space and figure out who I am and like be in the world, not as a student. And so at that point, let's see. It's a lot of factors. Ooh, factoring into like a kind of, yeah, a pivotal moment for you because that changed to the course of what you were going to do. Yeah. Uh, Basically, I was like, um, if I'm going to have an abortion, I made this promise to myself, which I still think about pretty regularly, maybe like once every six months. I'm like, okay, if I do this, if I'm like trading life force energy out, like what am I going to offer? And I'm like, okay, I have to do something important with my life. Like I need to make the world a better place while I'm here. And like, that has to be my North star the entire time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I just had this huge explosion of creativity that had been stifled for, you know, 10 years or whatever. And I started drawing. I started, uh, what's it called? Embroidering, just doing all this stuff and letting myself like wander aimlessly. And that's when I like just totally fell in love with street art. And I've always been interested in like, can I set my mind to something and not have the steps already laid out for me and just figure it out? Like we're not really given that or I wasn't, maybe I just wasn't savvy enough or whatever, but I hadn't, I'd always thought that'd be cool. Like, can I just make something happen that I want to have happen without having to like go through a program or whatever? And so I was like, what if I just try to paint murals? Like, what if that's just what I'm going to do? And so at that point, I I really like lean into community and showing up for others um, in order to, 
I don't want to say like be successful because that's not what it's about. But like I just started going to everything. And I that's when I started teaching at this. Um, it was called Little Tree. It was mm-hmm. this really cute art studio for kids. So I started teaching for their after school stuff. And that was right next to Olivia's gallery and where I met her. And then I started curating and I just kind of wanted to like get into all the nooks and crannies of the art world, not just me as a painter, you know? Well, I feel like um, I want to touch on a couple of things. One of the things, what Olivia specifically said was you told her you were going to be an artist. And I just love that because how many times do you think gallery owners in SF hear that from people? And then here she is outside your badass show at Dusta, you know? That gave me like chills for you. Yeah. Yeah. I was like just really hyped on that. Yeah. And the unwanted pregnancy thing, I am so moved by kind of the deal you made with yourself or how you took that in. I had my own probably around the same time you did, right when I got sober, actually, Mm -hmm. like one month out of rehab. And there was no way I could have a kid. I was homeless and also like totally fucked. Yeah. Like, not okay not okay yeah and also constantly. physically still unwell oh, and yeah. just like really yeah. um and I've never wanted a kid but being pregnant even for a small amount of time mm-hmm. hormonally changes you and that whole thing was really upsetting mm-hmm. I think people don't I don't know maybe I just don't listen to people talk about it or read about it very much but like I was taken aback at how emotional it was for me, even coming from a place where I've never wanted a kid. Mm -hmm. I am surprised by how emotional I was, even though I've never wanted a kid. I just really kind of thought of it was it was like very much the gravitas of it. It was a big decision. And hormonally I had already changed right like my body was already changing and I found it difficult to do the whole thing was physically painful and mentally torturous yeah I I totally feel you I was my biggest thing was like is am I gonna be depressed is this gonna haunt me my whole life like what what do things look like after it's actually done And yeah, that sort of promise I made to myself was literally the only thing that gave me peace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like, there's, there's literally no way. Mm -hmm. Like you would fuck this kid from the beginning. (laughs) This kid had no chance. Uh, But I love that. It's really, it's really positive and beautiful. And, um, something that I've found of that great change often comes out of pain. Mm-hmm. Have you felt that in your life? Has that been an experience? Yeah. And also, um, evolving how I interpret pain. And like one thing with my mom is I've said, like, I'm here with you. And like, how do we approach this whole entire situation with curiosity rather than absolute terror? And how? Because I've been, I'm not next to you all the time. And Mm -hmm. I see you and we check in with each other, but I know there's people closer to you. And I'm just wondering how you're navigating this with mom, because it seems beautiful and and an amazing gift, but I know there's got to be hardships in there. Um, Well, 
because I'm with her, I feel like I have my hand on her at all times. It's way easier because she's just in front of me. I noticed that before she moved here or, you know, when she went out of town for a week, the sort of like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my mom sort of feelings came in really strongly. But right now it's not super hard because she's not in like tons of pain. And I know that's like around the corner and yeah, I'm just trying to, to be extremely grounded and yeah. Uh, I don't know how it'll be. Yeah, it's like yeah. Yeah, one, literally one day at a time. Yeah. I know you told me a little bit about, I know that you're, you've are you studied a lot of like, is it called herbology? No, it's not. I'm making that word up, aren't I? Yes, but that's a cool word. Herbalism. Herbalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like herbology is like some Harry Potter shit. That's yeah. more likely than to come out of my mouth. Which whichever <laughs> one you prefer, they both sound great to me. <laughs> you study it, so and I know that you've been using that knowledge to help mom. Yeah, so with that, right, I have I have lots of, of opinions on like things there's this whole like I wanna make you better stance that I have to question because my mom's choosing to not do chemo and big therapies and from the beginning i'm like never eat sugar again you know like just don't do it um but you have to meet people where they're at and so um treading lightly being supportive is important because i think that it's easy to shame her like oh because you were like this your whole life like now it's led to cancer or whatever like those feelings can be um exuded and i don't want her to feel judged or shamed at all you know like being a a woman from like the born in the 1950s like that's a big piece of they that's like a big blanket statement but we'll say her identity is like she has a lot of self-worth stuff You know, so I just want to love her up. So I think that right now, just getting her outside and in the sun and just those basic things are really what I'm pushing. Um, And our parents' parents were drinking while they were in the womb the entire time and chain smoking like bosses. Yeah. Yeah. They were smoking in the hospital. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's insane. And they were sleeping in lead painted rooms. I mean, it was all a thing. Yeah. It's rough. Um, but yeah, she did ask about seeing an acupuncturist and traditional Chinese medicine doctor. So her, me and our friend Jafar, who speaks Mandarin, we all went to her appointment together and yeah, she loaded up on all these herbs she was supposed to take every day, like an enormous amount of herbs, an impressive medicinal dose you could how say. are they consumed you make a, it's called a decoction okay which is kind of like a tea but you just boil it longer so if you have roots and stuff like that they're more fibrous and so to get the properties out you need to cook it a bit longer so it cooks down to just like a cup mm-hmm. and hers was incredibly bitter and so she was doing that for about a month feeling good i could just like kind of feel and see her life force i can like kind of read people's complexion i could see that she was doing well but then she got hit with like a bout of stomach flu and quit taking the herbs so now we're not doing the herbs and just trying to like rebalance her 
your digestive system. Mm, that's a whole journey too. Like I said, one day at a time. Around this time last year, you and I were on a whole journey together. Yeah, we were. <laughs> Um, was that in Palo Alto? We, we, do you and I fuck up what town that was in every time? It's like generally. It's Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nora invited me to paint a large floral wedding floor with her in the trees Mm -hmm. with a team of other artists. And it was a really big endeavor. Was that the biggest project that felt like that was the biggest project you had had up until that point, right? In terms of materials, supplies, planning it was massive yeah like you truly needed a team like oh we wouldn't have stood a chance just the two of us oh no way yeah at one point i feel like we had eight people there and that was still not that more than eight (laughs) i feel like it was four people for each side right yeah it was crazy especially okay having to do clear coat in the baking palo alto california sun heat it was like a hundred and we were so panicked because we had spent a week. Um, we had Pablo and the twins with us mm-hmm. who were painting florals. So Nora had her flower. I had a flower. Pablo had his flower. And Becca had a flower. Mm-hmm. Becca and Sarah. On these like corners of this dance floor that was being built in a clearing of these people's homes. Yeah. For their daughter's wedding. Mm-hmm. It was what, like 70 by 90 feet or yep. something like that. It was massive. So we painted the entire thing green first. And then we spent a week painting our our floral bits, which were rotating like sunshades over us. We're on the ground, like there's dirt and debris everywhere. I mean, it was like a situation. Can we talk about projecting those? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, this is an excellent opportunity for any artists who have done a better job than this to reach out to us personally. Give me, because, give me your tips. Yeah. Although we pulled it off. Somehow. But... Okay, we started, we thought we were going to be genius. I feel like we started with two ladders and we were going to make like a, you know, like a wooden like um, strut for the projector to hang upside down between. Is that the original plan? Something like that. Right. So two very tall ladders and we were going to hang the projector upside down and between them off like these two wood pieces and then, uh, you know, project from the air down below. And why didn't that work? Something was off about it. We couldn't get, was it that we couldn't get the aspect ratio correct or something like that? Or was it too shaky? What was the problem? I think we just weren't far enough away. So we weren't, we were having to project in these little chunks. Yeah. And at one point we were just holding it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I forget. It was Ian who was holding it, wasn't it? it? Who did it? Who was the, why do I feel like it was Ian who was holding it? Am I making that up? Ian was a boss on that project. Yeah. Yeah. Ian helped out greatly. Yeah. And a good positive attitude. For sure. Chap. Coach Ian. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We got it done, but that was like really stressful. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was a couple points in that project where we were kind of like, is this going to get done? Yeah. The way we want it to. Yeah. It was just a huge endeavor with a very short time frame. I think we had 10 days total and there's so many parts to it. It was the priming the green all these intricate like 20 foot long flowers and then the clear coat which is when you can fuck everything up yep the clear coat went great because her father gave us this like invaluable advice Mm -hmm. which i love stories about your dad too yeah 
he has his own garden and he's like a plant. He's like a person who talks to plants. Mm-hmm. And a plant whisperer. Yes. But he also has this entire other life as professional painter. Yeah, industrial painter. An so industrial painter. Painting bridges and water towers and oil refineries, all the crazy stuff. So he has all this knowledge about the chemistry, you know, which when you're just throwing yourself into painting, that stuff can be hard to learn. So having someone that'll be like, yeah, use this clear coat, not this one on your giant project. It's really helpful. But if you want to describe the technique, go for it. Well, because I think it was so badass. He told us to use these sheepskin covers. Mm-hmm. How else would you describe them? Like mops, like um, It was almost pads. if you took one of those giant, like two feet wide window squeegees. Yes. And then put sheep wool mm-hmm. over top of it. Yep. So then, because with clear coating, you have to worry about bubbles, uh, but this just, you like, what did we do? We poured We rolled it down first, and then someone came behind with the sheepskin thing and like dragged it. Yeah, you sort of like reach way out with these super long poles, (laughs) and then you drag through, and then you take a step over, and you do it over and over and over again, and then you get this like nice smooth surface. And it worked great. It Your worked dad really saved our bacon on that one. Yes, he did. Because, yeah, brushing it on. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's also worth mentioning at this point that we were staying in a hotel nearby. And I had quit smoking. Um, I believe the first day we were on the project was day two of me having quit smoking. Yes. And I was a fucking wreck. How long had you been smoking for? You know, I chewed, I dipped when I was in early college, and then I started smoking when I was about 20, so Mm -hmm. 18 years, with a two-year break in sobriety from cigarettes, but I was vaping, so I guess it doesn't count. Yeah. So a long time. And you went cold turkey. There's no other option, I feel like, for people like me, of just my particular chemical makeup, is like, if you know that children's book, if you give a mouse a cookie... And then he'll want a glass of milk. That's mm-hmm. how I'm made up as a person. Um, one is not sufficient of anything yeah. for me. So, yeah. And um, everyone on the, on the trip knew that that was happening. I had like dum-dums and all kinds of things. And, um, you know, Nora and I knew each other, but I would say we really bonded on that trip because yeah. I really was very vulnerable with you. I kind of had no fucking choice. I was like breaking down. Yeah. I was going up to the porta potties, which were in this little alcove, like above the job site, intermittently and crying outside the porta potty and then coming back down to the project and trying to pretend like everything was okay. Well, like your breakdown to me was imper- imperceptible. Yeah. Is that a word? Yeah. Like I didn't really know the depth of it, but then you'd be like, yeah, this is rough. I think. You know, the way that in my household, my mom was very emotional and my dad's a lawyer and he very rarely showed emotion unless it was a raised voice, like, you know, Mm -hmm. and so, um, I think as a kid, at least it was my experience that I picked sides and I picked 
not even in who was right or wrong, but how I wanted to be. And I picked my dad's side. Just like, don't show emotion. You Like, be, you know, cool and calm and like logical. And I have spent my entire life like building an armor around and like a legend around who I am as a person. Like, I'm a badass and don't fucking step to this. I'll cut you, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't cut people. I'll just... FYI. Um, (laughs) Verbally, yes. Like very, um, in my using and career, extremely verbally sharp and sarcastic and using people's vulnerabilities against them Mm -hmm. was my deal. Manipulation, lying. And so um, for me to crack in any way felt huge. Yeah. And also, like, it's worth noting that this is eight years into my sobriety, and I do feel like every year I get more, like, tender, vulnerable, softer in this world. But, like, I really had to face all of the stuff I've been squelching for all these years because every time I would have a feeling, I would smoke a cigarette. So the beginning of the feeling would happen, and then I'd be like, I'm going to smoke, and then I'd squelch it down deep, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, like... I don't have anything to hide behind anymore because mm-hmm. my food stuff went at the same time, which was, yeah, the more will be said on that, I'm sure, in these future podcasts. But yeah, in my mind, in like all of you guys knew, <laughs> it's like a hot mess. I mean, like I was crying on the phone to my partner and um, my spiritual advisor person in the parking lot when you guys would like leave. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you kind of kept it under wraps really well. Awesome. Yeah. But then we had a really fun shopping trip together, and you got to find out one of my other side addictions, which is like the temporary happiness of a purchase. Yeah, I mean, you just know, okay, if I'm like, (laughs) what kind of car should I buy? What kind of shoes should I wear? I'm like, Britt, tell me what the best item in this category of stuff is, and she knows. And so I just blindly trust her. We got you some babe sunglasses. Mm -hmm. I'm wearing the Birkenstocks. I got my first pair of Birkenstocks because I tried yours on so that I wouldn't burn my feet walking across that boiling (laughs) hot (laughs) stage. And I was like, oh, these Birkenstocks, these are like nice. Yeah. I just never, I was like, no, I can't wear Birkenstocks because it's too on the nose with... (laughs) who I am I think it's amusing for people who know us in real life that I'm the one with the Birkenstocks first it's so fun that's amazing that was a good trip though that was really fun yeah that was super fun (sighs) but we crushed it that's they were so happy we super crushed yeah Mm -hmm. and it felt good to do the whole team thing because ultimately I feel like that's what you and I are growing into is like leading these bigger projects and leading in a way that's kind and you know from a good place where people feel uplifted and get paid yeah I think that's super important Mm -hmm. for the most part everyone that assists me or that assists you is an excellent artist in their own right and it's super important to respect that yeah definitely speaking of crushing it well, should we talk about your big gallery show or do you want to tell us what you have coming up in the books? Hmm. Are you allowed to talk about what you have coming up? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
so what do I have coming up? I am doing this mural in a light well. Like, I already started it. Um, it's a pretty cool project. So these people, when they're going down their stairs, they have this epic, huge window that just looks at the side of the building next to them. And so I'm painting the building next to them. Um, big 25-foot floral piece. Um, I have, I have a few just great little projects sort of not totally landed in my schedule yet, but they're, they're going to happen. And then I have a big one in Oakland that I'm stoked about. I'm stoked about it too. Where is it at? Um, I forget if it's Oakland or Emeryville, but they're buildings that aren't even built yet. So as soon as they're online, I'm putting a mural up. And just so you all know, I just visibly rolled my eyes because yeah. that's one of the things we deal mm. with. So, yeah, so that'll be three years from now. Right. Well, yeah. they might. I assume they're working on them. They might be built, but they're still furnishing them. I'm not really sure exactly where they're at in the process, but I know they're not ready for me. I want to talk about, okay, when I emailed you questions and things, this is one of the reasons why... I love the people in my life is that I wrote Nora the most ambiguous question ever and she totally rolled with me knew what I was talking about. What I wrote with was, I want to know your experience with your last big gallery show and how you got it. And that one day you told me about that bike ride you took and met all those glorious people on the way, including some guy growing things on the side of the road. <laughs> Do you remember what I'm talking about? And God bless you. You're like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was so beautiful. Tell me the story again, because this is a great story. And also for all of you listening who have not had the pleasure of meeting Nora in person, this is just absolutely how her she is and how her life goes. <laughs> and it's fucking great to watch. It's so much fun. Oh, man. Okay, I need to... This was like the one thing I wanted to review because so many funny things happened. Um, so I live in a van. It's, <laughs> it is the perfect living situation for me right now. I just, there are all these low-key things that I was disgruntled with about life in general and systems and yada yada. Um, and living in a van has just alleviated a lot of those things. Anyway, so... I am in Mill Valley, which is across the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm popping over to a friend's place, and I park my van. But you had just lived in Mill Valley, right? You were living in Mill Valley prior, oh, and then you were living in SF with Joel. Yeah. And then van life. And then van life. Okay. Yeah, so I was back from this epic journey up to Canada that I did and then I came, yeah, I came back to SF and was planning on doing the whole van life mural thing, which works perfectly. And then I was invited to do this show, my first solo show at Desta Gallery in Mill Valley. So yeah, actually I had been at Desta Gallery chatting with the curator owner, Emma Bett, who is an angel. Like she's literally the perfect person to partner with in doing a show. She has just been so wonderful to work with. So I'm all high off life. I go over to my friend's house for a minute, I think to drop off a pan. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah. And then 
I go back to my van and it won't start. And this this van is amazing, but I've had three situations where I've had to get it towed because at the mileage that it's at, like all of the tubes and belts and stuff have sort of broken it within like six months. So I'm like, fuck, <laughs> not, not another thing. So I can't figure out what's going on. I have a weird feeling that the next day I can figure out what's going on. And so I Uber back to my studio. I sleep at my art studio. And the next day I was so looking forward to because it was literally my first day off in like a month and a half. And I was really needing a little freedom. Like part of my self-care is wandering around aimlessly, not aimlessly, but just like letting my, letting me just be guided by my interests. So anyways, I'm pretty bummed that I have to figure out the van stuff. And I was like, okay, how can I make this a little adventurous? And I'm like, oh, I know. I'm not going to Uber back to my van. I'm going to take a bike ride. Did you tell me this story when we were upstairs at Mira's Gallery? Yes. This is why I'm smiling about it just because mm-hmm. we had like a little bit of a crew with us and we were all just grinning so big because this story just keeps going and going and it oh. gets more fantastical as it, go- yeah, it goes. Yeah, it's so fun. So I had literally like two milligrams of an edible because that's all I need to just like... Be launched onto a new oh, yeah. plan um, of existence. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I do that. I get on my bike, my little e-bike. And I start riding across the bridge, and it's like no wind. It's sunny. It's not too hot. And I am just like living the dream. If you haven't ridden across the Golden Gate Bridge on a bike, like it is so fucking beautiful. When's the last time do you think I rode a bike? (sighs) Let's see, a couple hours ago. 2002. (laughs) Wow, you even have the year down. That's impressive. Because I remember what happened and why I stopped riding bikes. Did you eat shit? Yes. Yeah. Drunk. Well, you don't drink anymore, so we'll go on a bike ride soon. You know, that, like, a Dodge, like, it's as easy as riding a bike is not true. Because I have tried to pick it up again, and it's, like, not an enjoyable experience for me. I took my friend about two weeks ago on a bike ride, and she was like, oh, I don't like riding bikes, and she (laughs) fell and skinned her knees. It's true for me, too. It's not a thing. And it's okay. I'm all right with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you can rollerblade across the bridge while I bike. I'm going to wear a whole Barbie outfit for doing that. Okay. You're right. Perfect weather. Golden Gate Bridge. Like the wind is at your back. It's so glorious. I'm like, see, I can go to my van and like just have this glorious adventure. And so I'm like (laughs) zooming down the hill. I'm dropping down into Sausalito and I'm biking along and um, I'm really connected to my sense of smell. Like my favorite sense is my sense, my, my olfactory. Yeah. (laughs) I love smelling things. Anyways, so I'm biking along and this guy is shoveling mulch on the side of the road and like just, you know, a city worker or something like that. And I bike through a plume of this mulch 
air that had just been dropped down and it literally smells like so oxygenated it like this is the stuff that will actually cure cancer you know it's like so full body amazing and I'm biking and so I keep biking, but then I'm like, no, Nora, this is your chance. Ask him about his mulch because because <laughs> yes. I'm like, I have questions. How did you get that stuff? Like, what what's your process? How long does it sit? I love soil science stuff. So, and mulch is like a whole world to get into. So I turn around. I'm like, there's no time like the present or whatever they say. And I stop and I was like, sir, <laughs> I would do anything to interview this guy for his POV. Oh, that I, day. Have, I have his, his phone number. His name's Oscar. Um, Amazing. He, I, so I'm like, what's in your mulch? And I start asking him questions and he just like a smile goes over his face and he just turns into a teacher and advocate for nature and he starts telling me all about his mulch. He's like digging it up, showing me how much how many worms are in it. And then he takes me. So basically, we're in Sausalito, and he starts telling me about this area that he's working on. And it's in a, a spot where, kind of like the shipyard in SF, where it's all contaminated with radioactive stuff. This was an area in Sausalito where they cleaned the ships. And the and they also just like dumped garbage there. Yeah, there's like a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Um, so the city's like, this is nasty. We have to do a remediation project. And so what they did was just put soil on top of it, and then garbage started like coming up to the surface, regardless, because the earth is not stagnant; it moves, and. So then they're like, oh, okay, we have to actually spend money on this. And so they basically a lot of remediation projects are like digging up the stuff and putting it in a smaller pile. So you know that the stuff is in a smaller contained area rather than this whole like large dispersed area. How big a space are we talking about right now? I know Maybe it's like hard like to judge. Maybe like four football fields. Okay. It's like this little park that's just right on the bay. And so he was part of that remediation project. And um, the landscape architect, and this is like a huge project to be a part of. Um, the landscape architect chose all these species that like don't do any services for us. They don't really feed anything. They're kind of just ornamental it's like basic plants. Basic bitch plants. Basic bitch plants. You knew what I wanted to say. I know. This is the full swear podcast. Yeah. There will be cussing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and Oscar was like, oh my gosh, like we actually need to be planting these natives because natives just do so much better. Like you do not have to mess with them and like baby them the way that you do non-natives. And then all the insects and everything living here is already like recognizes them. And so it's just better. And he was fighting back quite a bit about all the plants being planted. And he found these little edges and areas where he could kind of do his own thing. And he showed me some of them and they were fucking thriving, like huge artichoke plants, seven feet tall, just 
so dense and like he just took me through all these little areas and it was just beautiful and now that like the heads of that project love him because his areas are super thriving and the other thing that was so inspiring about meeting him was he told me about his wife that runs the bilingual herbalism clinic which is this bus that goes into these like agricultural communities and provides provides herbal medicine and speaks Spanish and for some of these people that's the only uh, like medical care they receive Mm -hmm. so anyways I'm like talking to this guy he's breaking me off freaking broccoli that he's growing in this park and feeding it to me and just like just so inspiring and so he's rewilding he's he's doing this urban rewilding and anyways like that's exactly what I care about like that's the kind of work that I ultimately really want to do or depict or all of the above right and so just to like have that reminder of like what is beautiful to me was so special and then I continue on (laughs) and I meet this other person who's amazing and i go to desta gallery talk to emma bet for another hour and then i go to my van and it was just barely not in park which is why it wouldn't start up the night before so i just like put it in park it starts right up and i was like wow that was such an amazing day all because i chose to ride my bike and just like be in that state of like freedom and flow and, and like not force a solution, right? Just be like, take. My nose. Yes, I really. You shared about that in your gallery talk at Desta, and it's something I write about when I'm forced to write artist statements. The scourge of the planet. Mm-hmm. Part of what I paint about, or what is important to me, is nostalgia, and what my senses tell me. And smell is such is like the biggest part of that. Like lilacs. Do oh a whole God. fucking thing to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have them around you growing up? I sure did. Yeah. We had a huge lilac bush, which they don't really have them down here the way that I experienced them in Minnesota. Like, they're really purple, super mm-hmm. fragrant ones. And I know what you're saying about mulch. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there's like a loneliness to, um, I mean, we used to get crazy thunderstorms. And the way that the earth would smell after that. What's the name of that? It starts with a P. With petrichor. Oh, I've never heard this. The word. wet earth smell. Mm, mm-hmm. The I best. Mean, it's something we are designed to love, right? You know, and I think a lot of the stuff with people having sort of gut problems is because we're not taking in microbes from the earth like we used to. So, like. Yeah, gardening is such a nice solution to that. Just like touching soil is this incredibly simple and healing process that I don't even know like if that's been studied. And it's like, what if these are the solutions that are so right in front of us that we can't see and we're just trying to like tech or biotech into like a weird sort of realm of healing that is just more complicated than it needs to be. I believe that. I'm yeah. not a big fan of Western medicine. It doesn't really work for me. 
It's like, I mean, <laughs> it's like the same thing that the government was trying to do with those garbage areas you were just talking about. Like, let's just slap it, something on top of it and hope for the fucking best. Yeah. If you can't feel it, if you can't see it, it ain't there, mm-hmm. which well, is, of course, you know. And kind of going back to the Western medicine being born out of war, it's like people are coming in already sick and injured. The best prevent, like the best thing to do about that is to not get sick and injured. So that's where like the herbalism and Eastern medicine comes in and it's nice to have both. And one thing that was interesting at my brother's uh, graduation ceremony, I think three out of the six people said that they were wanting to go into integrative medicine, which is um, combo, a combo. Like using acupuncture and or like what are we Mm -hmm. talking about? Do you know any more about it or just kind of? Um, it's, I guess it would be offered under the umbrella of Western medicine, but they have a big integrative clinic at UCSF called the OSHA center and they do acupuncture and massage and therapy and stuff like that. And I think we, we are moving in that direction. I, I'm going to preface this because not all people are like me and being an addict in recovery, um, I don't, there's a lot of things that I don't like to look at or maybe like push to later or also like I'm not always inside my body. Being in here is like a work of practice for me. I have to practice being landed, grounded and Mm -hmm. in reality. And so I preface by saying that like I've had pain like back pain and neck pain and all kinds of pain and my feet are all messed up for a long time. And the way that I do, like, I'm just like, that's just life. Like, and this is kind of like a thing with me is like, I have a really high pain tolerance and it's got to be like a nine for me to want to look at it or Mm -hmm. be willing to look at it. And like, so I went to the chiropractor a few months ago and it's just like, I have these experiences where, um, I don't, I don't carry around a lot of shame anymore about my past. I'm will, It doesn't really carry the same heft and girth that it used to. But like when I have to go talk to people about medical past history things, it comes up a bit where it's kind of fucking embarrassing because the person who was doing my intake evaluation, they like want to know what's going on with me. And to be totally honest, I thought I had a pinched sciatic nerve and that's why I went in because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to do ladders and lifts. Mm-hmm. So that's what finally got me in there. After all this time, I was afraid that I was going to be rendered like, you know, useless. So I was like, fine, I'll go in. And they like wanted to know my past history and stuff. And like, especially with my neck and things. And and he was like, do you have like trauma here? And he, they're looking for answers. And I had to be like, well, you know, for 13 years, I passed out every night. So probably. <laughs> like. I would consider that maybe trauma, but like, yeah, I'm like, I don't have a lot of answers for these people. There's like 13 years of mystery time. So it's like, let's just work with what we have. Okay, people. Mm -hmm. But I went to the chiropractor and my life, my quality of life is drastically different. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How long have you been going for? Three months. And at the first three, like the first month I went three times a week and then two times a week. Mm-hmm. And then down to one a week. And I'm just like, just, I mean, just my basic standing and like just living just hurts so much less. And it just it makes me laugh because if I had gone to my doctor for this, they'd be like, why don't you take ibuprofen? Why don't you do this, that, or another thing? Right. And, mm-hmm. 
Instead, I just really needed... My whole body was lopsided. I have a picture of it. I'll show you. Oh, wow. It's fucking crazy. Fascinating. It was like this. Like like this is Uh like how you're supposed to be. And Uh like my body was like... Yeah. Canted people. Like crazy angles. Mm -hmm. And like the one thing I have to say about that whole world of caring for yourself is it takes time and effort. You know, like you don't... Well, you can break yourself in an instant, but a lot of times it's just this repetitive stuff we do. So it's like, how long did that take to develop? Okay, let's just say it's going to take that long to to resolve it, which it can definitely happen much faster. But yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a job to get to the, the core of, of an issue, you know? Why do you think people have no patience for that? Mm, it's such a good question. I think it's a, were we giving good examples? I think we're rediscovering a lot of this stuff. And do you think it's part of like where you were going with a lot of our Western medicine being based off emergency based things, which Mm -hmm. is just like resolve this thing right now and -hmm. don't really worry about the root of it as much yeah I think it's just harder to get to because there's always going to be like psychological stuff involved with it and it's kind of like getting sober where it's like you have to kind of want this from within Mm -hmm. and um there's also a piece of like I don't know what my best I only know what my best thus far feels like So you kind of like give yourself this mental cap of like, this is me feeling good, but to imagine feeling 30% better regularly by doing these other things. um, I just don't know if people drop into that mindset as much, but yeah, I think it's like wanting ease, wanting convenience, um, science developing and people getting excited, like playing with chemistry, you know, mm-hmm. and being like, Ooh, what does this do? What does that, what could this do? You know? And that whole like tinkering and new solutions. Are we talking about exciting. everyone's infatuation with microdosing? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Are you microdosing? Um, I mean, when I consume things, it's always pretty microdose, but I'm fairly sober these days. Honestly, it feels good. Yeah. Have you struggled with that in the past? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was a wild woman in college. Very wild. Let's get into some. Okay. Did you have a drink of choice in college? Oh my God. Um, I went to the university of Iowa and there was this thing. We our mascot for the football team. We're the Iowa Hawkeyes and there was Hawkeye vodka which was like the cheapest of cheap vodka and you're poor in college so that was one otherwise like keg beer yeah yeah you didn't have like I mean for us like some of the stuff that we were drinking was like mad dog which is the worst of the worst have you ever do you know what mad Never dog is it. <laughs> it's like um violently colored like Ooh. wine like wine cooler drink malt beverage uh-huh. <laughs> it comes in blue and like red and in flavors that are not made on this nature like not from nature yeah <laughs> my 
I did not really drink in high school. I drank like a couple of times in high school. Mm-hmm. And what I started drinking though when I got to college was Mike's Heart because I didn't like drinking beer. Yeah, I when I first started drinking in high school, I would chase my beer with soda. That's awesome. <laughs> and then people made fun of me for it a little bit. And so I just like hid that until I could start to tolerate the beer taste. Mainly because I cannot envision you drinking a soda. I know, but I did. That's so scandalous, Nora. I know. Who are you as Many a person? lives. Many lives. I know. If you had an aesthetic in college, what would we call it? Ooh, like visually, like how I dress. Yeah, like I want you to kind of paint us a picture here. Oh my God, you guys don't judge me. So many people don't know me as this person whatsoever. You mean the old, I know. We only know you from now and that's why we must, we must go back. Um, Well, I definitely remember going to the mall on like a Thursday and buying a new dress like most weekends and it would be cocktail attire you know like what was the dress store you were going to in the mall can you remember um express yes excellent choice (laughs) (laughs) we had a friend that worked at express so that was that was a thing um where else did i go i think forever 21 was around when i was in college and that was a large portion of like cheap outfit buying yeah for me yep push-up bra. Mm-hmm. I used to wear high heels all the time. Oh, I was never a heel person. I broke my ankle, so that's just never been a thing for me. Um, yeah, you know the Did look. you have long hair? Did you dye it? Oh, I had reddish hair at a certain point, and that looked so crazy that I ended up just going back to natural. No, I weighed 20 to 25 pounds more in college than I do now. That surprises me. Or when I'm drunk, I would binge eat pizza, usually. When one of the houses that I lived in in Boulder was off Moorhead Avenue, and that's considered where the more sedate college housing was, and right before the entrance of Moorhead Avenue was a Taco Bell. And so whoever had the, I'm sure, utmost pleasure of driving me home at night would have to stop and take me to Taco Bell. And I woke up with Taco Bell in my bed frequently, having not even made it to the point of eating it or semi-eaten before I passed out. Yeah. Honestly, we just... We grew up in this era of drinking being like this amazing thing to do and not really being taught how to consume alcohol at all because it was like you can't do that um as when i was younger than 21 but i feel really hopeful seeing younger generations like not be as interested yeah they seem to be a lot wiser in a lot of ways yeah it's good it's like just don't damage your body like that like just bypass that but there's also so much sadness around it because it's like i knew i felt like shit You know, I knew I kind of didn't want to be doing it. Like I wanted there to be some sort of other option, but, um, aggressive partying was just the thing. I've spent a lot of time, of course, like looking back through my life and combing through this kind of thing. And, um, I did not put 
drinking and um, feeling like shit together for a much longer time mm. than people would probably assume. Interesting. Um, I had really low self-esteem and almost no personal yeah. value. Yes. Yeah, and so there's also this sort of side of me that's very like wild woman and having a healthy outlet for that would have made all the difference. But my outlet was just like being outrageous because I loved the like, oh, I love you and the whole like honesty that would happen when you're drinking and being touchy and all that was like felt so good. And I think that we're a little starved of that sort of affection. Mm -hmm. And so having this weird shortcut to get to that was so literally intoxicating that I just wanted more and more and more. And so to get to that, like just equal drinking. So to have to cultivate that as a sober person, as an adult is a beautiful journey, you know? And it makes me say, I'm like, Oh, I just like wanted friends and to feel love basically. And I also love to, you know, have my adrenaline boosted and to be a little wild every now and then. Um, so yeah, figuring out how, like, these are still things that I love and want. So figuring out how to do it in different ways. I mean, there's some sort of, sort of scapegoaty part of it too, where it's like, you can blame it on the alcohol mm-hmm. when you went streaking naked through whatever yeah, you're doing. Yeah. Totally. Like the wild woman stuff. Mm-hmm. You still have one of your wild women with you. Allie was at the show, right? This is the yes, same Allie that you same moved Allie. here with. Yes, we met when we were 18, just started college, and we were wild women together for sure. So we've seen each other through all of the times. We lived together for about 10 years. Um, And yeah, it's beautiful to have such like a long-term friend in my life here in the San Francisco version of myself. Does she call you on your shit? Hmm. I don't sense that she's that kind of person, but you know what? This is totally me from the outside looking in. Um... I think she gives thoughtful, kind, kindly put feedback, <laughs> but it's not going to be like a, yo, don't do that sort of boldness. Right. Hers is more, um, like wrapped in kindness. Well, the yo, you shouldn't do that doesn't work anyway. Yeah. No one listens to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Although once in a while you listen to me when I give you the yo. I love it. This is what you should do. Sometimes it's nice to just have it be clear. I think that that is the reason why some people like me and then other people don't. (laughs) It's my brand of just not being able to like. Well, you come from a place of love. And so if you can get over your ego and just see that, then it's like, oh yeah, it's helpful to just have like short and clear sometimes. What I'm specifically talking about right now is that Nora was really, I don't know about really stressed, but we were just having a discussion about how she was going to get all the paintings for Desta done on the timeline. Desta being the solo show. The solo show that she is, that is currently on view right now, which we will give you the information about. And like, I had seen her at like three things or something like that. Like that would have been like the third time I'd seen you in like two weeks. And I was like, I think you just need to stop saying yes to the outings. Yeah, I was, I sometimes have a problem with time management and Britt was like, okay, so this is what you do. Someone invites you to something and you say, no, I have a show and they're going to be totally okay with that. And I was like, oh sweet. No, I have a show. Okay. I need to remember this. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I like verbatim texted that so many times. I had to say no to so many things. It was just like torturous, but also such a beautiful, like there's so much learning that came from having to sit in one place as all of California was super blooming. And all I wanted to do was be like rolling around in meadows mm-hmm. to just be like, nope, get inside, keep going, keep going. And honestly, it was worth it. I was just about to say it was totally worth mm-hmm. it. Your pieces are gorgeous. Thanks. How many did you do for the show? Nine. Big pieces. They're big. Mm-hmm. Who... Did you have Mario help you stretch those canvases? Who did the canvas at work for you? Did you do them? Uh, there's one piece that I stretched. The rest I purchased. You did? That large? Um, that huge abstract yeah. was one that I stretched. Wow. And then, Because do you remember how I had that 18 by 20 foot four canvas yeah, thing? Yeah, job. That job you did? That was insane. Um, I learned how to do all the stretching and building and framing and stuff at that point. That's impressive. Hurts your hands. I like came into some stretcher bars that were left at the studio that I'm in now. And I purchased like a mallet and a staple gun, both things that I needed anyway. And now mm-hmm. I just have to get to the point where I'm going to stretch things. But honestly, I don't paint on canvas very much. What, do you find yourself doing wood? Mostly wood. Yeah. And now I'm onto paper. Yes. And I'll probably Your stay paper on paper for a while. so gorgeous. Thank you, love. Yeah. Did you apply to the D. Young? Yeah. What piece did you enter? The dark rose one. The purple rose? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So Amazing. Nora's going to be in the D. Young coming up in September. <laughs> oh. Do you know how many people they're accepting? Uh, I think they did up to 7,000, right? Well, that's how many submissions they got. Oh, right. Um, like I believe last or two years ago, it was like seven ninety five. Seven hundred ninety five people. Mm-hmm. They let in. That's a good chunk. Do you remember the scandal that it caused? Did you get a piece in the last? I've time? I've never applied. You didn't apply. Yeah, except for this year. Everyone in the community was quite a Twitter, because some people got two pieces in. And they could have just done one piece for everyone and let more people in, but then some people had two. I feel like I'd have to see which ones got two to make a judgment call on that. But I I can understand. I mean, I'm more onto the, I lean into the egalitarian side. So I'm like, yeah, you should have just accepted one and let more people in. Right. I roll. I got a big, um, museums really pissed me off. So I've got like already a bone to pick with it. Plot twist, I did apply to the De Young. So. You're going to get in with that piece? I really hope I do. Yeah, it's beautiful. But part of what bothers me about museums is that... What's the last museum exhibition you went to go see? Hmm. Last museum... I honestly cannot even recall. And don't you think that's so interesting being an artist here in, in SF where we have several different big art museums available and you haven't been is that because you don't know what's going on or because it's not interesting or because it's too expensive do you think any one of those things are a factor i think i'm usually like i would love to go see this gonna put it on my mental calendar and then it's like the first thing to go and things have just been you know a little busy but i think it's very expensive for sure it's expensive the exhibitions don't rotate as frequently as i feel like they should And part of what really chaps my ass 
is that every time there's a new, and I'm going to like just call out the MoMA right here Mm -hmm. because the MoMA will never listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I'm marked safe. Um, Is that like the language that they use when they're introducing a new exhibition or whatever, even when they're just trying to talk about Mm -hmm. the artist, whatever. It's like, you're trying to get these freaking 20 point Scrabble words or whatever. And it's like, what does this even mean? Who are you talking to? Yeah, I do find that museums could be so much more engaging with their storytelling, but it's like the driest of dry language. And why? I, I have know. got a I've got a theory. Tell me. <laughs> it's because the people that they're showing there isn't more to it. Mm. Who does the picking? Who does the deciding? The young curators. And who are they? Oh, old white guys. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Maybe there will be a day where there's like, it becomes more youthful. There's like a turnover. There already is. The ICA in uh, Dogpatch is doing great mm-hmm. stuff. They have, uh, I mean, they're not turning, they're a nonprofit museum. They've got badass installations so far. That is exciting. Mm-hmm. I like the new model. Do you like the Museum of Ice Cream? Oh my God, how could I have forgotten to talk about our origin story? (laughs) Here at this, we've been like doing this for an hour and a half and we didn't talk about our origin story. (laughs) Well, first of all, we met at the Salesforce Transit Center. Yes. And it was my very first mural. That mural was so good. You were catty corner from me. Mm-hmm. Mine was a hot. Mess. I really liked yours. It was kind of cool, but it was crazy for sure. Actually, it's not entirely true. I think that was my. I had done one at Fog Fair, and then so this was my second time doing a mural. I was really intimidated. I was really like when we were there doing the walk and meet and greet with Joan, like, and all thirty six of the artists were there or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like shitting my pants, and I remember feeling a feeling that I've felt more than once which is being around people who I had seen on Instagram or knew and I had this feeling it was really similar to feelings I've had throughout my entire life which is like or like middle school specifically is like how am I gonna fit in here does Mm -hmm. anyone want to be my friend how does one even start Mm -hmm. like loneliness and like kind of just like I don't even know like outside looking in yeah type feeling for me Mm -hmm. for sure and that was like so nathan was right across from us doing that giant one Mm -hmm. and shane isakowski was doing um paul madonna's mural to the right of me and i can remember like Josh Coffee walking around giving everyone cookies and he knew everyone by name. Like, I remember this because it's such a poignant experience, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, Josh Coffee's so nice. Like, Josh, if you listen to this, mm-hmm. I love you. Yes, but, same. like, he didn't give any to me because he didn't know me. I was, like, the only one that you guys didn't know. I was not a part of the community. I would have really appreciated them, too. I would have really appreciated them. But, like, you know, why I'm bringing this specifically up is because, A, I've had a lot of really kind, awesome experiences with artists in, in San Francisco and the Bay in general. Same. Be very kind to me, answer my questions, not knowing who I am. Like me just like basically cold calling them on Instagram and being like, ask, you know, just 
hammering them with questions and them being so generous. Uh, Cameron Moberg would be an example. Strider Patton's another example. Those two lamb chops. I mean, you got me that studio too with those two. I forgot you didn't. You didn't know them before that. Not really. Not personally. Angels. Yeah. But having that happen, and then, but also having other things happen where people were not as kind or generous with whatever, and I have had the experience now of people asking me how do you get this? How does this happen? How does this work? And I've, first of all, I want to be at like the most generous I can be because so many people were with me, but also I have no answers for them except for this is the one I give most often. And I wonder, I think you've already touched on it, which is start being everywhere, start showing up to things and talking to people. Mm-hmm. I think that's made the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when I first started, I painted whatever needed to be painted. Yeah. And that took a little bit of, I believe that I can finish the product, uh, the project, you know, like you have to be like, I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. Um, cause I just figured that extreme versatility is helpful, you know, well, this brings me, okay, we have to stay on origin story because I just diverted okay, us onto yeah. this other thing, which I'm so ber- terrible about. But that brings me to the fact that you and I both did Thumbtack. Fuck yeah. So tell our friends what Thumbtack is if they don't have experience with it. Oh, let me tell you. So Thumbtack, <laughs> <laughs> Thumbtack is this platform where people will be like, hmm, I need my windows washed. Let's see if they're just like, handy joes out there that'll (laughs) that i can message with via an app um and get the job done and but it's not just household handy stuff there's also like oh i want a massage therapist for my birthday and there's also a whole art section and Let's see. Uh, So there's like the two sides of it. There's the people who need the work done and then the quote unquote professionals who bid on jobs. And then um, like that bidding will lead to this like direct line of communication. So Britt and I both were on Thumbtack and I had to... Meaning we had to pay to talk to people. Yeah. So people would post a ridiculously vague... Thing that they might want mm-hmm. and us as artists would have to decide if we wanted to pay 10 15 20 25 dollars mm-hmm. to talk to this person yeah. to what could eventually be nothing by the way so Which that's how it's set up it's often nothing and also when i was doing it i was fucking broke mm-hmm. yeah i mean i had to bid on jobs for a solid four months just like i'm gonna just bid on everything because if i get one job that'll pay for all that i suppose and then it's also based on reviews so Mm -hmm. right it's this whole like i don't have any reviews no one wants to hire me but eventually the ball did start rolling and that's kind of where i speak to just saying yes to logos saying yes to all this stuff and one of those jobs was for the museum of ice cream which i don't know if you guys know about that i think beyonce like popularized the la museum of ice cream by posting about it and it just 
was this fad? I feel like it's not much of a thing anymore. It's just a place to do selfies. Yeah. It's a whole Instagram photo shoot with all these wacky colors and installations. And I think it's one of the first of its kind, though, because now I see other ones like 90s experience or blah, blah, blah. But I do feel like the Museum of Color and the Museum of Ice Cream were the two of the first. Yeah. So basically at this point, and it's in a bank downtown in SF, an old bank that's yeah. got like pillars and columns. It's a badass mm, it building. It's a cool building. It's a very sure. cool building. It's right off Grant Street, so right in the heart of San Francisco. And you go inside and you're like, I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just candy for the eyes for sure. Um, so yeah, I bid on this Museum of Ice Cream job and they definitely only picked me because I was the lowest bidding person. Um and I told them I had a mural company and they just kind of trusted me to do a few rooms for them. And it was my first basically sort of like corporate mural experience. And we did a good job. And yeah, so- basically we were there touching up the wear and tear from what people had yeah, already done. Like that's when you and I had met. I did this whole like big sort of first time the wall had been painted for a couple rooms and Got then it. you and I went back like for touch-ups and so you did some of the initial art on there mm-hmm. awesome mm-hmm. badass yeah so that was that was like a big deal for me for sure it was a big deal I'm just laughing about like we were in that like room with the do you all know about the cookies the white and pink cookies with a little, that's the room we were in, right? With the mm-hmm. white and pink stripe with like those animal cookies mm-hmm. that have the sprinkles on them that mm-hmm. are white and pink. Mm-hmm. They're like animal crackers in the shape of humans, right? With frosting. With Aren't frosting. Aren't they in the shape of animals? They, no, yeah, they They're are. They're humans? Nope. I'm thinking of gingerbread men. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't be trusted to know your sugary sweets, okay? <laughs> yeah. Let's leave that to the professionals True. in this room right now. Super fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it it made me laugh when you were talking about your mom and wanting her to maybe quit sugar because I know that that feeds cancer. Like, that's one of those things Mm -hmm. that you got to cut out immediately or whatever. And I was thinking about doing a two-week sugar reboot. And I asked my partner, like, for permission to do that because I was like, do you think it's going to be as bad as cigarette smoking? Because he and I can't make it through another one of those. Mm Yeah. That poor man. I mean, was the closest to all that shrapnel, and it wasn't fun. And I understand that. But he's still here, and you guys are doing great. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, so have you done it? No. Yeah. I mean, I know that um, Instagram might lead everyone in my life to believe that I exist on only sugar, but that's just completely not it's a the front. It's a complete front. Nora has seen me show up every morning with my green smoothie uh-huh, and all my like other BS. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, I gave up sugar for a week one time and it was so bizarre. Like the first few nights are very hard, especially nighttime, right? And I just remember circling through all the cabinets and the refrigerator to like look and see if there's anything that was like akin to being sweet yeah. and being like, no, okay then sitting down and then like doing another orbit through the kitchen and eventually i just ate a whole bag of carrots because it was the sweetest thing i could like technically eat and it was just very it was like a frenzy 
Yeah. Did you, yeah. do you normally have something a little sweet before you go to bed? Is that the deal? Uh, not anymore. Yeah. But at that time, yeah. a little something. I'm going to have to have you back again because I want to know all about van life, but we like don't have the time for that today. But I know, like, I, I want to investigate all of this more, including like, all right, I'll just ask you a quick question because you know I love to harp on this. Like, what kind of weaponry do you have in there right now? I'm so concerned oh. with your safety. Okay, right now it's pretty minimal. It's just taser and knives. Okay, that's acceptable though. Yeah, but when I was traveling, I had a bow and arrow. Amazing. I had a compound bow. <laughs> okay, next time we're going to have to talk about the scenario in which you think you're going to get to use that. Okay. That's not close-up combat. That's not like someone's already in my <laughs> van. You, that's like someone across the field has made a slightly threatening gesture to you, me breaking into a van yes granted you can only break in through the front because i'm a stealthy van um and you looked through and you saw someone with a fully loaded bow and arrow pointing at you I would pee my what pants. would you do pee my pants you would run yeah yeah pee first then run yeah <laughs> amazing i love this oh, so many good things do you have any favorite artists right now is that an unfair question to ask? Do you think people will be upset if you don't mention them? Is that something that you worry about? No, my whole thing. They're like people doing murals that are so fucking mind blowing. Most of them are in Europe. Um, but I'm not really one who can name a ton of artists. I feel like you're much better at that. I kind of just look immediately in front of me and I feel so stoked about my our artist friend group and just how that is being knitted tighter and tighter together and we're all like actual friends now yeah and that is the most exciting so all those people you all know who you are those are the people that i'm most excited about for sure i like that answer yeah in reply to one of my email questions you had said wanting to explore like our art community or how what kind of tribe we are. I forget exactly how you worded mm-hmm. it. If we were a tribe, what kind of tribe would we be? Was that something yeah. close to it? I kind of like to think about like, okay, all the humans in the world and like the sort of the categories they fall into. And then you have like this umbrella of the arts. And then within that you have the visual artists. And then within that, it's like, you got the US people, you got the LA people, the SF people, the you know, and so like thinking that broader scale, like how, how strong are we? How big of movers are we? Are we like syncing up to make larger statements together collectively? Cause I see, I mean, I'm not like so in the know about what's going on with European artists, but I have heard before, like people talking about being around some of those mural groups and that there's just so much encouragement and they're all kind of like lifting each other up through positivity. And I'm like, is that happening here? Like, what's our culture? Are we competitive? Are we loving? Like, what, it, what is it? Let's talk about it. Let's maybe, it'd be cool to aim towards something. I think it's an American's nature to be competitive. For sure. A. Mm-hmm. The, I just recently finished up a series of workshops put on um, by the city of Oakland um, and ABG. Mm-hmm. And the goal of that was to really 
call a group of artists living and working in Oakland and help them succeed in the public art sector. Because for me personally, if I see that it's a city run project or a RFQ for the city, I'm immediately no. Like ain't nobody got time for that. Like for me, I just, it's also like a very, um, where I've been at and how I've been living, which is like, um, sub substance living for a long time. Like, and so it's hard. It's been hard for me in the past to work on long game stuff when I'm trying in the immediate now to be housed and fed and like surviving. Mm-hmm. So like some, when things like that have come up for me in the past, I'm like, I don't really even have time to sit down and like do this multiple step application process that for me, who is so computer illiterate mm-hmm. is going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I don't know, like, I feel like other addicts will resonate with this. Or maybe just, I don't even know if it's just addicts, but, like, the resume process and all of that is something that can cripple me. It's just very difficult for Mm -hmm. me to do. It's actually become a lot more simple now that I've just had the past few years clean, you know, and it's just easier to do. But in the past, that sort of thing just kneecapped me because I'm like, what Mm -hmm. do I have to say for myself? And, like, I have no linear concept of time also. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not rooted in that at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, I've relied solely on my Instagram for what I've done in a year. Thank God for that. Yeah, because yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. But like the whole the whole workshop thing was about um, empowering us to understand what those people are looking for and also introducing us to fabricators and people who can help us like make our dreams into reality. And for me, that was very eye-opening because... I'm also like a practical person. Like I wish I could be more whimsical, but I'm like really not. Like, and sometimes like I have ideas, but I'm like, I have no idea how to get that done. And I just like dock it in the back or forget Mm -hmm. about it entirely. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was like a really helpful thing. But like, I think artists in general, do you think that because there's a scarcity mindset in SF and the Bay, it makes us hard. It makes it hard for us to band together. And by scarcity, I mean, like, not from people who are willing to spend money on art, because there's plenty of that, I think. Mm -hmm. I think we're lucky to live here in terms of people understanding the value of art, Mm -hmm. but more like actual physical resources, as in housing and studios. I mean, for sure, yes. That's a huge problem. Um, Gosh, people just, like the whole work rent game takes up so much energy. Um, and then if you have a family on top of that, like that is your life, you know? So to like find people who want to do these extracurriculars and like get together and do the round table and like, okay, this is a, this is a weird little side project that I would love help with. Can you give me a once a week, time commitment to help me make it happen like that stuff takes a lot of organization and like I kind of see how community organizers are so they're like spiders you know like web and creating this huge web and network and like okay this person's good here this would be good here and like making it happen and sort of inspiring people to like want to work together on things is a whole it's a gift it's like a craft you know yeah. So again, like that's something I'm really interested in. I think as just the day-to-day mural painting and getting jobs and stuff, like 
we get better as at that as we have more practice and become sages. Right. <laughs> then like then it's like, okay, what else do I want to explore? And so that's kind of why that whole project in Palo Alto was so cool. It was like sweet. I never would have been able to do this by myself in a million years, but we did it and yeah, those success stories are really are fun. And it was so much more fun with like the crew and getting to know everyone. It's like Pablito. Yes. Can we even talk about Pablo oh for God, a minute? Sweet angel. Oh my gosh. First of all, my favorite part about him is that every time I see him, he's like, your art would be so much better if you put a frog or something on it. <laughs> how, I love that. How does he manage to like literally work frogs into every single piece that he does? I'm not mad about it Me because either. I actually Kermit the Frog was the first <laughs> Christmas gift I ever remember receiving oh. and I still have it. Do you? I want to see it. Is it here? Yeah. And it oh. only has one eye because Hank found it, which is <laughs> oh. really sad, but it's here. And so I do have a, one singular sentimental bone in my body, and it's around that. But yeah, he does love frogs, and he really wants me to incorporate them. Maybe you guys need to collab. <laughs> <laughs> but just to give you all a visual of how he was working the entire time, just chilling face down on his skateboard, belly down on his skateboard mm-hmm. the entire time. Because mm-hmm. we were painting on the ground. Yeah. And then he'd finish and like go skating. Yeah, he'd go surf and he'd go skating and he'd like, see you guys tomorrow. And I'd be like, I'm so tired and dehydrated. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go home and watch my stories for a minute and go to bed. Oh my word. Well, I feel like we, we got there. We covered a lot. I'm so happy you're here. I feel like we could talk for another eight hours. I know. Well, you're going to get to come back. Yeah. (laughs) I wish that I was doing video and audio, but my partner very kindly and gently um, let me know about how hard that is to do. And he knows that it's very difficult for me to even turn on a computer. So we're (laughs) going to just go with what we got. The fact that this is even set up and going is a miracle. It's impressive, honestly. It's kind of cute, isn't it? It's great. I love it. I'm going to ask you one last question. Mm -hmm. What should it be? I don't know. I didn't actually know it. If we got a matching tattoo, what would it be? Oh, I'm having crazy deja vu right now. Oh. Should we just let it ride? I mean, I kind of broke it by saying it. What's the tattoo? Did you get a, a I feel like a you're visual? about to say something ridiculous, like really ridiculous. I wasn't even there yet. Okay. I'm just caught up on your deja vu. It's over now, but that was wild. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, since if you're going to talk about deja vu, is the sick line tat- tattoo that I had a dream about. That goes from pinky up the arm like sort of wraps and then goes up the shoulder and neck and then you have to shave your head have the line go over your head and then down to the other pinky you saw someone have this i had a dream oh about you had it. a dream about it mm-hmm. well that brings me to i was thinking about your tattoos and i saw at the show that you have one somewhere like on your traps side. or side, it's like a full side that i've never seen what that's fine <laughs> what is it it's a... Uh, like, how have I never seen it when I've flowers. seen... Oh, like cherry blossoms, people. Cherry blossoms. But I was thinking about your hand tattoo because I knew you when you got the hand tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, a hand tattoo when you have no other visible tattoos is a large personal <laughs> statement, which I love. I remember Nora talking about this tattoo and I was kind of giving her a face like, yeah, the hand tattoo is a real big statement. And yeah. it's two circles, uh, one blue and one red. And... 
I was thinking about that poor tattoo artist. That's scary as fuck. Think about doing line work. Yeah. I mean, he did a great job. He did a great job, but like, that's so nerve-wracking. Not circles on top of someone's hand. I would have been like, I'm sorry, I can't. Concentric circles. Concentric circles. Yeah. I mean, again, I did not choose this tattoo. I had a dream about this tattoo. I know. So I just went for it. Then I'm going to let the question lie because I'm going to have you back and you're going to have a dream about our matching tattoos. Ooh, that's nice. That's the real answer. Okay, perfect. Thank you for joining me. I love you. This I love was you so too. great. <laughs> We're staring into each other's eyes. Yeah. I love it. Our eyes are twinkling at yes. each other. <laughs> um, tell us where your show is and how long it's going to be up. Yes, thank you. Um, it is at Desta Gallery. 100 Throckmorton Avenue in Mill Valley, California, and it's up until August 5th. And I'm going to be doing, I'm live painting, I'm doing some a mural on one of the walls. And so I had my first session with that today, and then I'll also be painting July 8th and the 22nd from 11 to 2-ish. Amazing. Yeah. At Kona Rebbe is your Instagram. Yeah. Tell me what that means one more time. So it's derived from the word kamarabi. When I first was like, why do I paint? What do I like? And anyways, won't get into all that. So kamarabi means when light shines through leaves on trees in a forest in Japanese. And I just love that they have a specific word for a specific type of light and like what that means about them as a culture. And yeah, so I changed the M to an N, and then it sort of has some of my lettering. And I, the real thing was if someone types in, people say it differently. Um, sometimes I say Kenorabi, but I was like, oh, so if people type that in, will it like Google autocorrect to Kamarabi, and then they'll discover that word sort of on their own, but I led them there a little bit. Right. Yeah. Has that happened? No idea. <laughs> People, we need to know. Please give us your feedback. <laughs> That's so perfect for you. Yeah. yeah. That sums you up. You're a legend and an icon. No, and I'm really too. glad we're friends. Me too. We're in the same SF artist cohort. I know. It's special. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Finding like my, my home and my chosen family has been um, a fantastic ride. I feel really grateful about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay. Thanks, Angel. I love you. All right. Until we'll next time, soon. everyone. I feel like I was in a different universe. Really? It's, I agree. Like, we're like, like only like hearing each formal. other, and it's very intimate so and, like, cool. cool. Oh. Thank you, babe. Yeah. How did that feel for you? So good. Yeah. I think it went exactly how I have been, like, thinking it was going to go, good. honestly. Then that's great. I was nervous I was going to be, like, too tired from my early flight and, like, fumble through words, but that didn't happen. I I knew you were going to be live painting because then I saw the date and I was like, oh, my gosh, I love that she's going to be live painting. Um, are you recording right now? 